Hello, and welcome to Twice Exceptional, Teens Exploring and Living with Neurodiversity. My name is Kate, and I am the host of this educational podcast. I am currently 17 years old, and I have been diagnosed with ADHD since I was 10. Additionally, I was tested for giftedness as a child, making me twice exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information about neurodiversity for someone who is currently dealing with it in their everyday life. Not only am I neurodivergent, but my brother is also neurodivergent, meaning I have seen how symptoms can be portrayed differently in different people. In this podcast, I discuss my own experiences, interview others on their experiences, and share research on neurodiversity. In this episode, I spoke with Sarah Harberson. Sarah Harberson is the founder of Application Nation, a private college counseling community that provides personalized advice to college applicants and their families. And she's also the author of Soundbite, the admission secrets that get you into college and beyond. She's the former Associate Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania and the former Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Franklin and Marshall College. Sarah's philosophy is that every kid applying to college deserves the best advice. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm honored to be here, Kate. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um... I have spent my entire professional career in the field of college admissions. I've worked on the college side of the process at the University of Pennsylvania, where I was the Associate Dean of Admissions. And then I was the Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Franklin and Marshall College. But I've also worked on the high school side as the Director of College Counseling at a private high school outside of Philadelphia. And now I am the founder and owner of Application Nation, which is an online college counseling community for families who are going through the admissions process. And I'm also the author of Soundbite. Thank you so much. So today, most of my questions are going to be focused on neurodiversity and how that affects the college experience from both admissions and in actual college experience. So my first question is, how do college admissions officers view neurodiversity? Is it like seen as a strength, a weakness, just something that exists? So I've been in this industry since the late 1990s. And when I started as an entry-level admissions officer, I don't think admissions officers in general were trained properly at all about neurodiversity. It wasn't Um, something that we discussed on a regular basis. And so when applicants would apply that were uh, neurodiverse, they experienced a lot of discrimination in the college admissions process. And so for years, when I was working with students, especially as a counselor at a high school, and then with families and students directly, I was very concerned and nervous about students uh, mentioning that in their applications because of all of the discrimination that I used to see on the college side of the process. I believe that things are getting better and that admissions officers are being trained more properly, but I think there is still a stigma 
within the college admissions industry that really puts those students at a disadvantage unless they're presenting in a certain way in their applications. And so I tend to see a lot more success with neurodiverse applicants um, in the admissions process if they have exceptional academic records and exceptional applications, but anything less can still be quite challenging um, for them in the admissions process. Yeah, thank you. And then I wanted to ask if with like college admissions officers, do they like know if you have accommodations in high school or no? And do you think that would impact anything or is it something that like they have to keep separate? Most of the time, admissions officers wouldn't know that a student has accommodations unless one of two things happens. One, the student or the counselor for the student indicates that there are accommodations in place. Uh, That's pretty unusual. The other option which can happen is there are high schools across the country that will indicate on a student's transcripts those accommodations. It's usually in the form of a study skills class or whatever the title may be. I was looking at a transcript this morning and let me see what the term was used on the students. I can't remember. It was something like um, student success or something like that. but sometimes the transcript will reveal the student's accommodations when it is my belief that that is not okay to do. It is not the high school's job to reveal that information on a student's transcripts. It's my belief that it's in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, in fact. Uh, But most admissions officers are really perceptive people. And so when they're looking at a transcript, if they see a class that looks anything like an accommodation or a special skills or a study skills class, immediately they will assume the student has accommodations um, or the student is neurodiverse. It's interesting though, years ago when I first started in college admissions, when a student Uh, sent their score report from the ACT or the college board for the ACT or the SAT or even subject tests or any kind of standardized test on the score report. Many, many years ago, there used to be a symbol and that symbol would indicate that the student did not take the standardized tests in the normal time frame or with normal Mm -hmm. circumstances. And that was another way that admissions officers figured things out. So most of the time, admissions officers are figuring this out, not because the student is sharing this information, but because it was coming through in different areas in the application. That being said, the college board and the ACT no longer indicate that symbol on score reports. And frankly, most colleges these days don't even require an official score report in the application. It's usually just self-reported test scores. Okay. Yeah. 
So what you're kind of saying, though, is if you have a class for accommodations, then there might be a chance that it will be indicated. But if you don't, then it probably won't. That's correct. And there are a lot of students that are that have accommodations in place, but there's no specific class that they take yeah. during the school day. So it wouldn't be listed on their transcripts. But I do think it's very important for all students to look at their official transcripts, not just the neurodiverse students, but all students. I don't think most students realize what's actually on their transcript. And that's what admissions officers are going to see if an official transcript is required. So it's important to see what the admissions officers are going to see, whether it is a study skills class, whether it is the number of days the student was absent or tardy in a given year to sometimes disciplinary actions are on the transcript to honors and awards, even test scores are sometimes listed on the transcript. So I always tell my students, no matter what their backgrounds are, look at that official transcript because that's what the colleges will see. And if there's anything that shouldn't be on their transcript, like that study skills study skills class or anything else, this is your opportunity to try to get it removed before you apply to college. Okay, thank you. And then along the same lines of the accommodations, what are some of the options that you could have in college for accommodations if you wanted or needed them? What's really interesting about this topic is that there are so many incredible resources at most colleges at this point. Yet the admissions office is usually not up to speed, not as open, not as fair in the admissions process. So the hardest part is getting through the admissions process. Once you get there, almost every single college in the country is going to have an office devoted to um, working with students in the academic environment. I tell my students who are going to be incoming college freshmen to meet with someone, an advisor, whatever the office is called on that college campus before they arrive on campus. It's really important to put those accommodations in place before they arrive. I think some of my students, some of my really high achieving students, they say, well, I've been able to get by in high school. I don't need those things in college. And I say, just in case you want to get them in place because college is going to be a very different experience and they deserve they need those accommodations to be as successful as possible. So there are a lot of great people working on a college campus that are going to be able to help them. So the admissions office sometimes is not as helpful and fair, and they're not always doing the right thing. But once a student gets admitted and enrolls, there are going to be a lot of people to help them out. That's great. So do you have any examples of what some accommodations in college might look like? It's really going to depend on what the student needs and what they're entitled, but it can vary from taking exams on a different day, having extended time, having additional academic support for certain classes, um, 
It could be note-taking. It could be working with the professor one-on-one. It's really going to vary. But having the accommodation in place in high school is really a great starting point for that student. And the academic support office, whatever it's called on the college campus, is going to help that student navigate college and be able to hopefully deliver those accommodations that the student needs once they get there. Okay, thank you. And then back a little bit to the admissions process stuff. Have you, with the like discrimination towards like neurodiversity, is it usually more towards people that have like learning differences like dyslexia or something or more towards people that have like autism or is it kind of a mix of both or... It's a mix of both. It's, you know, students who are dealing with learning differences to students who have autism, You, all of it. Um, but going back to what I said, I think I see a little bit more success these days when the student has almost no sign of their neurodiverse background or learning difference. So it's almost like the student has to be perfect. Their test (laughs) scores need to be super high. Their record needs to be super, super impressive. And if that's the case and everything else in their application is great, oh, it's okay that they have a learning difference or it's okay that they're on the spectrum or um, or have, you know, are gonna share that they have autism. And it means that especially among the highly selective colleges, that their learning difference or their neurodiversity is almost something that they have completely overcome to the point that they've been able to succeed. And I use that in quotation marks um, and be as competitive as they possibly can. So when I'm talking about discrimination, I often see it most among the highly selective colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. And I've been really hesitant as a counselor and as a student advocate to allow or, or encourage my students to make it clear that they have learning differences or neurodiversity in their application because of the discrimination that I saw on the college side of this process and that I continue to still see as a college counselor. But I do do see some successful students overcoming this. So I'll give you an example. One of my favorite students a couple of years ago suffered from severe dyslexia. And it wasn't until, actually, and I, now that I've worked with so many students who've had similar learning differences, I've realized that a lot of students do not get diagnosed right away. She was really lucky. She was diagnosed when she was younger before high school. And she was able to um, have all of her learning, all of her books, all of her resources, audio. She was listening to audio tapes from a very young age. And that was such a game changer for her. So by the time she got to high school, she was in good shape. She knew what she needed. So she did incredibly well in high school. And if someone were to look at her record, they wouldn't necessarily know there were any issues or accommodations that she faced. 
but she insisted on writing her main college essay about having dyslexia and how that shaped who she was as a person, as a student. I think it worked because number one, she had a beautiful transcript. She wrote beautifully as well. And she applied to a college that was going to be supportive of her, that was looking for reasons to admit students rather than looking for reasons to deny students. So she ended up applying early decision to Lafayette College. She got admitted and she's doing incredibly well. But most of the time I, I get nervous. It's not that I don't want students to celebrate that part of who they are. I just have seen it used against them in the admissions process. And that that really, really upsets me. So you've probably seen, I've written about learning differences and students on the spectrum. I speak about it regularly because I know if I speak out, if I write about it, if I call these admissions offices out and these colleges out, they're gonna be a whole lot more careful moving forward. Am I gonna change everything? Am I gonna change every admissions officer, every admissions office? No, but I'm gonna do my best to make sure that discrimination does not happen in the admissions process. And one of the most difficult um, parts of the admissions process for especially my students who um, have autism tends to be the college interview. And not every college is going to offer an interview, uh, but most of the small liberal arts colleges still do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the mid to larger sized, highly selective private colleges and universities still do too. And I find that my students, they, they might find the most discrimination coming from that interview experience. So we know that those students are going to interview differently not better or worse than other students, but the people who are interviewing those students, whether it's an alumni volunteer, whether it's a college senior in the admissions office working, or even the admissions officer, we know those individuals are not trained properly. And so when they interact with someone who is neurodiverse or has autism, they are not able to understand what that student is going through and they use it against the student when they put together their interview report. And I find when I was on the college side of this process, when I worked at Penn, we had, an, we had alumni volunteers doing our interviews. Not everybody got one, but mm -hmm. I would say back in the day, I would say, the clear majority would get an alumni interview after they applied. And any interview report they came in, they were almost always positive. So it didn't really make a whole lot of difference in the admissions process. But when there was something slightly negative in an interview report, it was used against the student. And especially for students who were neurodiverse or had autism, 
that was usually where it came through, where the interviewer was saying something really offensive about how the student was because they simply were ignorant or untrained. Uh, and that ended up being the reason the student wasn't admitted in the admissions process. Okay. So with the interviews and stuff, is there any advice you would have for students then if they have to do a college interview at the school they're applying to? Oh, I think I have to always approach each student individually, you know? <laughs> Because everybody handles the interview differently. Even someone who isn't neurodiverse can find the interview incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. um, students who have social anxieties, for example, have sometimes a really difficult time with the interview. So <clears throat> I tend to have to approach the interview process differently for every student. Ideally, you know, I want to be able to give every student a mock interview <laughs> before they do an interview, a real interview. And so if I'm not able to do that, I would encourage them to reach out to someone they trust, either their school counselor or an academic teacher at their high school, uh, maybe an older classmate who's gone through the process I would recommend that they do that and they do a Zoom call and record it. And that can be a really helpful step before the student does a real college interview. When I'm doing a mock interview for a student, um, whatever, whether they are nervous about it or not, I just want to get them as prepared as possible. And when we record it, we can take a look at it look at how the student answered the questions and I can give them feedback about how to adjust their answers, even how to look at the interviewer um, on the Zoom call or in person so I can try to give, give them some tips before they go into a real college interview. And I think the other piece of it is, you know, if we're being really honest and transparent and students are really proud of who they are, they should be able to make that clear and it should be, shouldn't be held against them. So I find that most people, even if they're untrained about dealing with people with neurodiversity or autism, even if they're untrained, if they're educated about it, they're much more supportive because I think most people are really good in this world. I really do believe that. But students have to feel confident that if they share their neurodiversity or that they have autism, that it's not going to be held against them. So I've had some students say to me right off the bat when I'm doing a mock interview, they could say, you know, before we get started, I just want you to know this is what I experience, this is what I identify as, and that could impact my eye contact or it could impact my responses. And when someone says that to me, I truly don't think it's just me. When someone says that to me, I love their honesty. I love that they put that out there right up front and they're proud of it and they embrace it. And they show someone like me, who's not neurodiverse, this is something to be proud of. This is not a weakness. 
this is not a limitation. This is actually part of my identity and my strength and my power. So I really believe if we can get to that point, college interview is gonna be a very different experience for those students. And it's gonna be a very different experience for those interviewing those students too. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I just have one more question and that is, do you have any advice for neurodivergent students who are headed towards the application process for colleges on like, if they want to address their neurodiversity, how to address it or when to address it and when to probably leave it off or? Yeah. I hope we get to the point, Kate, where they don't have to keep it off their applications if they are proud of it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think it's important to make sure that the college list supports the type of student they are. And mm -hmm. you know this because I'm so big on making sure that students identify the type of student they are and then base their college list around it. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I was a good student, but I was not an exceptional student in high school. And I didn't, I shouldn't, and I didn't apply to highly selective colleges. My list matched the type of student that I was. And ultimately it resulted in some, some nice acceptances because I was applying to the right schools for me. The same thing holds true for students nowadays, whether they are neurodiverse or not. I want them to make sure that their college list matches the type of student they are objectively. And that's important. So what do I mean by that? I mean, before we even get to their activities and their essays and their neurodiversity, it's important for the student and the family to look at the high school transcript, look at the grades, look at the curriculum and look at what the school has to offer. Look at the test scores and make sure that the college list and every college on that list sees that student's objective criteria, curriculum grades and test scores, sees that student as objectively competitive. That's the first step. We're not in a situation anymore like it was 30, 40 years ago where you know, even a weaker student could get into a college out of reach because of great essays or because of a great activities list. We're at the point in college admissions where you have to be objectively competitive first and foremost for those essays and for those activities to matter. So when I was mentioning that young woman who had severe dyslexia and wanted to write about it, in the end, she was a really good student in high school, but she also was smart about her college list. And Lafayette really matched up perfectly with her objective criteria, her curriculum, her grades, and her scores. Lafayette also has, I would say, one of the most friendly, welcoming admissions offices in the country. So I want students to pay attention to how they're treated as prospective students. You know, a lot of times students will say to me, you know, I emailed the admissions officer at this Ivy League institution or at Vanderbilt or uh, somewhere else and the admissions officer just didn't even get back to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
that's the difference between certain colleges. Certain colleges sometimes feel like they are almost above the student. And the student feels that kind of insecurity or that condescending tone. But in the end, it's really important that you look to how you're treated as a prospective student, as an applicant, and talk to enrolled students on that college campus to find out if they're really valued and base your college list around that. Because in the end, reputation and ranking of a college is gonna mean nothing if the student isn't supported and isn't happy on that college campus. Well, thank you so much. I hope you learned something helpful from Sarah about college with neurodiversity. And if you'd like to share your story or thoughts with me, feel free to reach out through email to twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or TikTok at twice underscore exceptional podcast. Consider following the podcast on social media or sharing it with others to keep spreading the word about the complexities of neurodiversity.